The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. On this episode, we're talking with Molly Whitney and Shiloh Halsey from the Cascade Forest Conservancy. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined in the studio today by two representatives from Cascade Forest Conservancy, Molly Whitney is executive director, and Strilo Halsley is the director of programs. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So let's start with Gifford Pinchot National Forest. Why why that space and why that place specifically? Well, it's a gem of a place. Um, a lot of people actually don't know where it is, so I'll start off with just saying that it's um, in the so- southwestern Cascades um, in Washington, and um, there's three mountains there. There's the Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, and um, Mount Adams. And so it's a, it's a very large area of land. And there's just some beautiful old growth there. Um, it's wet and dry side of the mountains. So you get a lot of just different types of climate. And um, the communities still live and work in that area, which is something that makes it really special too. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's kind of captured both, you know, I don't want to speak for Shiloh, but it's really captured both of us. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, and, and I think we want to talk a little bit about that. The community still lives in the, the, the space because that, I would think that would make it both um, more challenging and also more rewarding to have to work with um, conservation measures there. You have more voices that are part of the debate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, impacts, like conservation groups, the impacts they have on the local communities are um, complex, right? And not always um, in favor um, with what the, what the communities want. And so we try to kind of bridge those gaps as best we can while still holding a conservation line. Yeah, and it's a, it's a nuanced project that's <laughs> ever-evolving. I, I, I would imagine that when you say nuanced pro- project, that, that that is uh, a euphemism for that's a lot of work that you guys have to do. Yeah, <laughs> but it's rewarding work. And, you know, we're part of the two forest collaboratives there that bring that specifically bring together stakeholders and so i mean there's basically there's networks set up to work through many of these issues and to try to find common ground and and agreements moving forward and i feel like as a um at least relative to our to our history and the kind of the history of conservation we've been pretty pretty successful um not always but it's been a i think a good endeavor for us as a group yeah and before we get to deep into the forest, so to speak. I, I want to I talk about some of that, that history. The name of the organization changed recently um, to Cascade Forest Conservancy. Does that mean the mission or the focus has changed, broadened, uh, moved in any way? I don't think so. I think it's more about just in, um, capturing what we are as an organization and giving us the flexibility to address whatever needs to be addressed within um, the forest. So the Gifford Pinchot Task Force was the old name of the organization. And I think um, Gifford Pinchot is a, I mean, it's a place that we all identify with um, because we're familiar with it, but a lot of people don't know who Gifford Pinchot was or is and where that forest 
um, is. That's called, that's called a teaser when you say we don't know who he was. So um, before you send people to their Wikipedia pages, what who is Gifford Pinchot? Well, the first chief of the Forest Service back in the early part of the century, or last century. And, um, yeah, I think, and also part of it is that... Uh, we had trouble. We felt like we were. It was difficult connecting to people uh, in the community, Portland especially, because um, yeah, people had connections with Mount Adams, with the Cascades, with Mount St. Helens, and you'd say Gifford Pinchot, and people go there numerous times, but literally did not know they had been to the Gifford Pinchot Forest, and so that was also part of it. Yeah. And and so what what are what with the Cascade Forest Conservancy, and and maybe I don't mean to set it up so defensively, but. What are the biggest threats that your organization is working against? That's a big, I know that's yeah. a big question. And, and maybe maybe that's not even how you look at your work. I mean, I think it's the protection and restoration of this place. And it's, it's under threat because there are a lot of people that have different ideas of how the land could be or should be used. And I think that we have that conservation voice to speak to... Um, to speak to protect what is there and the beauty and the natural thriving place that it can be. Um, so I, some of our work, I wouldn't say that it's a threat of it. It's just how it's being managed, how we are addressing things in the forest, whether um, it's the way that people are looking at fire now or the lack there of, of lack of fire or how um, timber stands need to be or areas of the forest need to be managed in a certain manner um, because of the policies and the way that people are thinking about using the forest and using the land. Um, th th I'll turn it over to Shiloh because he's involved in a lot of the science programs that we do. And I don't think it's necessarily addressing a threat as much as. No. Yeah. Other than climate and climate change and the impacts that we have seen or expect to see with climate change. So that's definitely kind of this overarching, you could say, threat and something that we are working reactively toward. Um, and we're also trying to work proactively on different types of restoration work, uh, post-fire and pre-fire, you could say, or um, resilience building work, like Molly mentioned, um, as well as just work to build habitat for wildlife and build protections for wildlife. And and when we're talking, you're talking about uh, bring these messages out to to people or to whom you're speaking. Let's. I I want to just get some of the basic ground rules here as well. So you're talking about federal government, state government, local government, concert, all the above. Correct. Um, mm -hmm. Or can you can you break it down to who is the organization or the 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 audience that you're most primarily interested in reaching? That's a good question. <laughs> I wasn't. I, well, I didn't mean it as a stumper. I mean, the audience would be the communities that live uh, in this region and that that call that area either call it home or call it a place that's special to them. Because we need we need people to be interested. We need uh, stewardship and long like a long term appreciation and understanding of this place. So I'd say that's our audience as a group. Um, you know, if the, if the question is kind of who are we responding. I think it's two, all the... it'd be the, maybe sometimes the Forest Service, uh, uh, DNR, uh, federal government, and local communities that are, or local kind of companies. So you could say like the Ascot Resources is coming in and trying to put in a mine near Mount St. Helens. So mm -hmm. that's a company. Um, but that's kind of a, kind of a two-part thing because there's also the Forest Service and BLM involved in that process. Mm -hmm. And so how, I, and I don't want to drag 
uh, federal politics into this conversation too much, but how much has your job changed in the last three years? I mean, as you are dealing with a, a national force, you're dealing with federal agencies. Has that has that affected uh, what Cascade Forest Conservancy is doing? I mean, I definitely think that we respond to things that are happening on uh, the federal level. There was some changes to some uh, what NEPA is, uh, which is an environmental uh, comp- it's a way of addressing the impacts to the environment when you go through one of these processes. Um, and so we responded to that, and that was from the federal government. But you also look at you know the local ranger districts that we work with, and the individuals that are on the local level are connected to the forest, and they're, um, they're the ones that we deal with on a regular basis. And I don't think that the federal impacts that you see on the national level really impact these individuals and people that we work with on a daily basis. Um, and, and so this may not be then a, a, a fair question, but I'd, I'd written it down and I like it, so I'm going to still ask it. All right. If each of you had 15 minutes with any elected official, who would you want to talk to about uh, the, the work that you're doing and, and what do you think you'd want to say? Well, um, Shiloh mentioned the mine, and that's something that's on the forefront of uh, my mind right now because um, we just submitted some briefs and are going to court to stop this um, pit mine. Um, right outside of the monument. And so if we could get um, legislation that would take that would you know take out the possibility of mining in that area, that's what I would like to uh, move forward. And there are different people that we could talk to to do that. Um, you know, Senator Cantwell is one that we I think that would be a great a great person to talk to to make that happen. Um, and it's something that we intend to do and um, and make that ask. Um, if, especially if we are not able to do it through the uh, through court like we're trying to do right now, which is the third time we've been to court on the same issue. So there might be some other avenues that we can take to stop the pit mine. How have the previous two times gone? Um, well, we're back again because there is um, there's always something that that is, hasn't put a definite no, you cannot do this. It's like we need more information and we need to follow up on this. And um, so that's kind of where we are right now. I mean, perhaps because it's Halloween is recently on my mind, some of these things seem like horror movies, right? It seems like you, you've, you've put the monster down at the end of the movie, but then it pops back up. I, I mean, that, that has to be somewhat exhausting work. Because like you said, you, you didn't get a definite no. And just like at the end of Halloween, we don't definitely see the, 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 the body there, although we feel like it's done. Um, well, it's something with this round that we're hoping for that definite no. It could come this round. Um, I think we have a really great case of to why there shouldn't be a pit mine in this area that was purchased by the Forest Service with land and water conservation funds, which is supposed to be used for recreation, not land that should be mined. And um, any drilling or any open pit mine is going to stop recreation in that area and not have the land used as it ought to be or the intended purpose. Um, So if we can continue hammering that message home and showing the impacts that this mine would have or even the proposed drilling would have, then we will hopefully win and this will be a a no no issue moving forward. And do do you find that that, um, part of your job has to be the education of the communities of of saying, just because it's it is a, a a federal designated area, that doesn't mean that there can't be commercial activity there. Is that is that surprising to people at times that just because this is a place that we can go hiking and we can enjoy doesn't mean that you can't have uh, uh, there there can't be commercial activity that upsets the the balance. Um, 
I, I mean, I think that a lot of people do see um, land and the, the forest as a resource. I mean, people have seen logging in this area for a really long time. So I think that that idea isn't totally strange. The idea that there could be a huge pit mine in this area, I think, is kind of startling to people. But the idea of mining, there's suction dredge mining throughout the forest. There's a lot of resources and uses in a forest. I don't think that idea is strange. That was I was sort of setting up for thinking about where your organization came from, which was the uh, the the late '80s, early '90s, and it was a very different time in conservation. There was there was a lot of you know tree sits and there was ecoterrorism going on, um, and and it seems as if the tone has switched to much more collaboration. Definitely, um, and you miss a good old tree fashion tree sit though. I mean, that's not my style, <laughs> but I think, you know, some people probably do miss that. Um, and you have to take, I think you have to take a strong stance every once in a while. But I think that the collaboratives that Shiloh mentioned earlier that we are a part of is, uh, they're a great way that we can get involved within the community and have our voice being heard and get in on the front end rather than always being reactionary towards a, um, a policy or a process that we don't agree with. We can get it on the front end and change it. So it maybe is something that is more reflective of the needs of the forest. Molly Whitney is executive director for Cascade Forest Conservancy and Shiloh Halsley is the director of programs. You guys brought in a song that's been kicking around the office a lot lately. It's true. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you have to, uh, I don't know. You have to have a good jam in the office. And this is one that I think that we all really can get behind it. There's no lyrics to it. So it's something that's smooth. It has a nice beat to it. Just kind of keeps things going. Let's take and, and the song is? It's Intro by the XX. Let's take a listen.
This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joined today with Molly Whitney, who's Executive Director, and Shiloh Halsey, who is the Director of Programs for Cascade Forest Conservancy uh, and works with Gifford Pinchot National Forest, which uh, many of our listeners may have been to and not even known it, as Molly pointed out earlier. Uh, it is Mount Adams, Mount St. Helens, and and uh, Mount Rainier, as well as all the, the forested area up there. Um, how did both of you come to this both of you are more of a science background than a political background is that correct yeah yeah well i mean i've been with the the group in a in some capacity since 2011 i've been working in essentially my role now since 2014 and um definitely had a strong connection with this forest since the first time i've been um, i visited the place can can, let's pause there and Mm -hmm. tell us tell us about that trip um, it was actually a, a seed collection trip, uh, funny enough, um, with a friend who's a contractor. Um, and so we were collecting native seeds for basically for revegetation, which I assume went to the after timber sale or other kinds of development. Um, and it just felt like a deep, deep forest with a lot of unknowns, a lot of mystery. And even after, you know, exploring this area for many years now, it still kind of feels that same way. And... That's something that I find pretty special. Where 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 did you grow up? Kansas City. And 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 there are no <laughs> not <laughs> the same forest out there. No, it's a bit different. Okay. And and um, Molly, how did you uh, how did you come to the position as executive director, which is coming from a science background, but but it, to some extent. Yeah, um, I I'm actually brand new to the job. It's just six months in, so um, I get to. I'm still learning about this great organization and helping um, guide its direction moving forward. But yeah, I, I've been in the conservation world for the last, I don't know, 15, 16 years, working for the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, and then at the development director position at Water Watch of Oregon. And uh, this just seemed to be the next logical step and adventure. When It's such a great organization, a great staff, a great board, and a beautiful place. I'm, I'm a born and raised Portlander, and the Gifford Pinchot has just always been right there across the river and really accessible. And as Shiloh said, it's just there's a lot of awe about that place. It just kind of sucks you in, and there's a new adventure around every corner. Uh, I'm going to ask her of a cheesy question, but if you guys could, any animal that you could be or any tree that you could be? What would that be? I'm reading Richard know. Price's the uh, I just uh, the the understory the overstory. Oh yeah, uh, which is a, a collection of short stories, and each story is is uh, lack of a better word is rooted in uh, a tree of some sort, like um, uh, a guy who's uh, running bombing squads in Vietnam, and he parachutes out, and he's he's he, his life is saved by a bantam tree, and then he ends up in the Pacific Northwest planting uh, Douglas firs. Mm-hmm. Any tree that you'd come back is, or any animal? Um, I mean, the Douglas fir is, is iconic, but I'm always kind of intrigued by mushrooms and um, just that, the, you know, the mycelium that runs in the undercurrent of the whole forest. That idea is something that always kind of strikes me. I think I'd be a, a little weasel called a fisher, because you get to hang out up at the top of the trees, look out over the whole forest. I like that. I like that. And when, and 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 one more personal question, then we can get back to the to the broader view. But um, where does your interest or your inspiration for conservation work come from? Is that something that's always been there? Was that something that uh, uh, was was instilled from uh, growing up in Portland or growing up in in Kansas? How where does that come from? 
I have to blame my dad for this one. He's a conservation biologist and took me out in the field with him from when I was really little. And uh, it's something that I could not shake. It was I was in a canoe. I was hiking with him. I was, um, you know, working. I don't know whatever he was working on. I was right there beside him. Um, and it's he just taught me how to appreciate uh, the land around us and that if you really do care about the beautiful places that you experience, that you have to work to protect them. And um, he was um, a consultant and was working in a whole bunch of different projects from mines to landfills. Um, and whoever was hiring him to do that work, he had to kind of do the, he had to go look at that particular area and see that, what impacts it would have. And uh, I kind of knew I didn't want to do the consultant type work. I didn't want someone to pay for my services when maybe it's not something that I'd necessarily support and going the nonprofit route where I could actually speak and protect for what those things that I believe um, and protect the areas that I want, that I really care about. That was the direction I wanted to go. And Shiloh? Um, I'd say it's a mix of a couple of things. I had a, a really inspirational teacher in high school. It was an environmental science teacher. Made a big impact on my trajectory, as well as kind of slowly developing a connection to the mountains of Colorado. It's the closest mountain forest ranges near near Kansas. So I take trips there somewhat regularly. Um, yeah, and so that kind of outdoor mindset grew on me through time. And and how do you uh, how does the Cascade Forest Conservancy or you individually how do you balance uh, that that idea of using the forest, using the outdoors, uh, and enjoying it, but not consuming it? Yeah, well that's tough. You know, we we may we make an impact when we're there, um, but you try to leave no trace, right? And you try to leave a place better than um, how you found it. And it would certainly seem like that is intensifying. That that um, tension would be intensifying. I mean, it's it's so evident that that our region is becoming more populated, mm, and yeah. it's people are drawn here because they love the outdoors or they love being outdoors, mm -hmm. and uh, it it's hard uh, on the weekends to to not see that uh, uh, on Mount Hood. It's hard not to see it uh, in in our in our forest. Um, how does your organization step in? Um, or does it step in and, and try to create a message of, of how to do that balance, of enjoy it but don't destroy it? Well, I think that having getting people out into the forest um, through our citizen science programs that are doing good as you get people out that connect people to the land, and we have some youth education programs, our young friends of the forest, that, um, that, we, that allows people to have a connection to the land where they can appreciate they can appreciate it. And then I think that will help that culture of protecting and restoring it as well. So it's a balance of um, helping people learn. And then also the Gifford Pinchot is so large. There's so much space too that you can get out into wilderness still and you might not see another person. It's not overly used in all of it. Um, so you still have those really special places. And then the places that do get a lot of impact, you just have to make sure that you have that instilling that conservation mentality and that leave no trace um, kind of mentality, so they are protected for the next person to come through. And when 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 articulating uh, a, a philosophy like that, is it that's an abstract idea mm -hmm. until people really get their hands dirty, like you said, through a couple of your programs. Are there indicator species in the same way that the the spotted owl was one and and really grabbed the national attention? I mean, I know that that's thirty years ago, but it it seemed to be easy to focus on 
an owl and its mating grounds as opposed to focusing maybe on the more abstract ideas? Is that something that um, works well in the conservation movement or is that, that's, that, that's not part of the marketing, for lack of a better word, strategy that you guys use? There's definitely been, not been that type of replacement, like the northern spotted owl. Um, some groups and some places, not the Gifford Pinchot, but you know, you'll find wolves are maybe filling a similar role where they're generating interest and passion. But in our forest, it is a little more, I guess, to, to bring it back to it, like nuance here in that you know, we're talking about forest dynamics and trying to improve forest resilience or aquatic resilience. You know, there's a lot of passion about salmon, but that's also pretty specific to a specific groups and individuals sometimes. Um, yeah, so I'd say we almost have a, a platter of different things that do interest people, but it's not this one iconic thing that causes either love or hatred. And then just finally, as we as we, we wrap up the uh, half hour here, um, optimistic or pessimistic? Always an optimist. <laughs> and, and what is that based on in terms of uh, Gifford Pinchot National Forest and in terms of Cascade Forest Conservancy? There's just there is so much that um, we can do to be involved in to restore this beautiful place. Um, and it's almost trying to choose what we want to invest our time in because there are so many opportunities um, uh, to protect and to um, to be involved and to get other people involved. And I think, as, as we mentioned earlier, as you get people out into this beautiful place, you can't help but care about it. So I'm an, I'm an optimist that people will continue to do the right thing overall and that we're learning more and more about how to preserve this place, how to make the right policies to protect it, and that we're going to keep going in that direction. And, and Shiloh, I'm going to have you answer the same question in a second, but, but Molly, you sort of set me up there for asking, well, how do people get more involved and how do people get more involved specifically with Cor uh, Cascade Forest Conservancy? Well, we um, have, as I mentioned earlier, we have citizen science field trips that you can go out and you can join us for when we do seed collecting, we do seed placement. Uh, uh, pre I mean, there's so many different yeah, types wildlife of Wildlife camera surveys, um, yeah, post-fire uh, restoration, like Molly mentioned, uh, beaver habitat surveys. Yeah, multitude of things. And I can just go to your website and sign up. Are these on the weekend or what? How does that? How does that work? It's usually on the weekend. Yeah, I sign up. Some fill up, some don't. And yeah, once you're in the system, and we get a hold of you and kind of give you the details of where to meet, what we're going to do, and and what's going to be involved in the trip. Usually, it's a one day trip. Sometimes they're two. We just got back from a two day planting trip up in the north part of the Gifford Pinchot, and that was great. We had great weather, luckily, <laughs> despite it being November. And we do take a little bit of time off during the winter, but I think that those trips will be lifted back up there as we kind of enter the spring and the snow melts off the off the land. It's hard to get up there when the, with all the snow in the winter. Absolutely. And so Shiloh, and and you, you close us out here. Optimistic or pessimistic? I'm definitely an optimist. Excellent. That would have been horrible then if you had said uh, pessimistic. And and your optimism is based on what? Well, I think that's what gives myself and many people motivation. Because if I go the other way, I tend to. And look the other way and do something else. So I got to remain optimistic, Pete. And I do think there's a lot of opportunities to kind of shift into a more, um, you know, positive direction. And I think we can make a big difference as a group. I think we're poised to really go into the next few years in a in a in a real impactful state. Cascade Forest Conservancy is. Um, thank you guys for doing the great work that you're doing in protecting uh, um, important, iconic, uh, dark, mysterious area. Of the Pacific Northwest, Molly Whitney is the executive director, and Shiloh Halsley is the director of programs. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.